You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. What up, fellas? Hola, hola. Andy Buenos looks, dias. Andy looks a little green today. I um have a little uh, TD going on here. A little TV? Technical difficulties. You probably have like camera crews and stuff all around you, kind of getting good angles and stuff. Give me a latte. Fix this camera. <laughs> no, I uh, surprisingly enough am a uh, one man show. A one man producer. All right. Yeah. Where's, so, where's our little uh, fearless curly head leader over there? Porto Andrax in uh, Mallorca, Spanish island. I actually can show you guys just a little, uh, some clips I put together. Yeah. So yeah, not too shabby. Wow, that's awesome. That looked like Champlin on the river. Or don't you? Have, do you have a river? We must have inspired them. We uh, <laughs> they're like, hey, let's go to these newfound uh, towns that are only like a hundred years old, and uh, yeah, is so, Champlin actually on the river. There is part a lots of it, isn't it? Uh, Champlin was actually going to be the original state capital for the state of Minnesota. Um, but they decided St. Paul because they had more pigs. Oh. Yeah. Because it was the mouth of the uh, – what is it up there? It's the um, – there's two rivers that come together right there in Anoka, um, the Rum River and, uh, and the Mississippi. And, yeah, there's actually – I'm not – all joking aside, obviously I'm taking this too seriously, but um, you read the historical books on it, there's all kinds of history about uh, Champlain being one of the first founded areas. That in Anoka. Anoka was – I mean, man, there's some history. That's on the most haunted list, by the way. If you guys are thinking a little bit ahead for October, um, they uh, and you want to plan some of their ghost tours. The um, there's some old, like the general of whatever lived here, and his two children died of this disease, and still haunt the house to today. And there's all kinds of crazy old historical, cool. Um, so if you're into that, check it out. I read something. I think he was in St. Paul. The first person that like settled over there besides the Native Americans was this guy that was by like by the river in a cave and he set up like a little like bar and uh something St. Paul was named after him or something, but he would like sell beaver traps and like beer and out of the cave and people would stop by there. It was really interesting. Yeah. 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 Anyways, what, what's happening in, in the market? Same. I I just don't think things have really changed much at all. I think it's still moving. Again, less showings, less offers, but uh, pricing is still going really well. Yeah. I, I see the same thing. Um, I'm still seeing some pretty good activity. Um, I think the buyers, though, are not worked up into a frenzy as they were, 
you know, two months ago, there's a little more sense of calm, if you will, on the offers side of things. So, um, you know, we, we're changing our strategies just a little bit where before we were intentionally really underpricing things um, to, to create that multiple offer, you know, stimulation there. But now we're intentionally kind of uh, getting more towards what the house is worth um, back to more of a traditional pricing module. And then um, the buyers are coming in and, and doing normal buyer activities. They're not, they're not trying to run the price way up. They're not, you know, so there's a little bit of that, but man, it's amazing how fast it's changed in the last, uh, geez, 30, 40 days here. Yeah. yeah I know my, my builder guys that are buddies that are out there are getting a little nervous because new, new orders have utterly ceased. Um, um, they're, they're almost stopped. And some of the builders, the big nationals are still sitting there acting like it's this crazy seller's market where they, they're paying 2% to the real estate agents and all kinds of crap like that, where they, you know, they just show everybody how much they really respect you in a market like this. And, uh, but anyway, so, so um, the new orders, meaning like you walk in the door, design a house, put the order in. That's a little bit, that's been pretty slow the last, you know, 60 days. And a lot of that had to do with, I think the media jacking up everybody's impression of pricing. And to be quite honest with you, our pricing is already right back down to where it was, as of December of last year, almost. So it, it it's kind of a, I was going to say, if I'm going to watch it one more week um, before I say it's the perfect storm again to buy new, because it's really getting there. The prices are coming away down. Rates are staying down, you know, especially with that unemployment um, out uh, or the reports yesterday where they were lower than expected. Um, that puts pressure on rates again. So it'll keep rates lower and it might be the perfect storm to, to order a new house. Pricing and interest rate rise. Awesome. Well, today got vocabulary terms. After this, hopefully people can speak uh, real estate agent ease, you know, like Melanese, Spanish ease. So let's, we have like 50 terms. I know you guys like, you guys know, I know you guys like to talk and talk, but let's try to like give a quick bang about what it is, maybe a fun point and move on to the next thing. Let's do this like a, like an education. Um. Could you guys be funnier and more entertaining on your podcast? So that'd be really nice for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start like Chris, you say this first one, then we'll go to Andy and we'll go, maybe take a break, you know, 20 minutes in, but let's, let's knock this out. This is going to be fun. I think. Yeah. First one. It's going to be hard not to do it. A, a short, short sale. sale. Well, the short sale is, is uh, when you owe more than what your house is worth and what you can pay off. And that really makes it like, Hey, if you owe 300 and you can sell it for 300, there's obviously cost to pay. So you're short, you're short on that. And so the mortgage company has to say, okay, Hey, that's okay. And that's fine. And we move on to the next thing. Buyer's market. Okay. A buyer's market is where there are, uh, you know, um, more sales than there are buyers. So there's obviously there's more inventory, kind of like we were in the, 2006, 2007, where in today's market, if you can imagine the inventory being five to six times more than it is right now, that would be a buyer's market because the sellers are competing amongst each other to get that one buyer versus right now there's one listing to, you know, probably 10 buyers. So it's, it's flip-flop. So that's a buyer's market. Beautiful. Comparative market analysis. That's basically looking at other houses that are similar to yours or similar to the area um, to be able to gather that information to be able to tell somebody what their house is worth. 
comps, Sandy? Um, comps is short for comparables. So you, you're looking at, um, and this is something I would say to agents, be very specific because when people, when you say, oh, I've pulled some comps and the comps don't reflect your seller's um, quality level or style, um, people are very sensitive when you say these are comps. So I would say be very careful when you're presenting what you consider as a professional to be comps, right? Comparable properties that will help you establish a value in the marketplace. So um, maybe square footage, maybe the same development, maybe the same style, um, same square footage or similar amenities. And then you look at even deeper, we got to get into the quality level of the home. Is it, you know, the national builder, you know, quality or is it custom builder quality? Because um, there's a big difference when you go to resale for sure. Amazing. Days on market. Days on market. The more days on the market usually reflects a lower price, uh, typically, unless you get something really unique or you're waiting out for that perfect buyer. But that's how many homes once the it actually goes live uh, on the market. It's how many days you've been on. And now people used to not know that, but with Zillow, Zillow now shows everyone how long it's been on, which creates motivation. Listing price? Uh, that That is the price that you're asking the market to pay um, or a suggested price, as I always say, because I, I don't know if I've ever paid list price on anything. But um, the uh, you know list price is kind of a um, this is what the seller would like to see to allow you to buy the house. Now, um, when I was talking about some of the strategies earlier, sometimes the list price is intentionally put lower um, or in the old days, everybody says, we'll put it higher, you know, listed at 500. So we'll take 450. That just doesn't work. People are too smart. Um, it's, we're not selling cars or selling, you know, an old lawnmower here. We, we actually have a home that's has comparable properties to compare it to. So establishing a list price, I think is very important. Um, and that's probably one of the most important things that we help clients do is establishing the right price for the market conditions we're in the list price. Multiple listing service MLS. Yeah. The MLS is where uh, all of us realtors enter our listings. So then we can share them. Um, and then that gets syndicated to all the sites. So what you're seeing on Zillow and truly and realtor.com is actually coming from our uh, realtor system, the multiple listing service. And uh, that's where all of the listings are uh, gathered and uh, everyone gets to see them. Quick question. How old is that MLS? No idea. I mean, it's been obviously it's been around since I've been in. The so it goes back into the, I think it's the 70s, Chris. Is it? Okay. Um, Andy, a seller's market. Uh, welcome to today, my friends, where we have uh, lots of buyers and, and very few properties entering the market. Um, it, it, it's like everybody's walking around thirsty and there's nothing to drink. So when something finally comes up, they all grab it and fight for it. Um, cause they all want it. So, um, those that have the ability to present better offers, um, or can afford better offers usually get the deals. So a seller's market, it, it's, it's frustrating for a lot of people because in today's world, we're used to shopping on discounts or we're used to shopping on, Hey, it's on sale for 40% off. And in housing, you go out there and they price a house and they won't take it unless you offer them more than what they want or give them better terms than what they've asked for, um, to, to get the, the deal done. So it's, it's kind of unusual. So I think a lot of people get fatigued fast in today's market because they're just not used to a seller's market. Everyone's thirsty. There's nothing to drink. That was a good Andy's analogy. I should have played the, the clip. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Salute. Debt to income ratio. It's what's used for qualifying people. And it's basically uh, what percentage of your debt is um, of your income. So 
if you make five or ten thousand dollars a month and you have three thousand a month in debt you got a 30 percent debt to income ratio then the mortgage company uses that in which to qualify you and or figure out what kind of payment you can have um to be able to uh, afford that house can i can i just throw something out there with that too because i i think this is cool back in 2006 2008 the average was about 46% or 43% um, debt to income ratio was like maxed out. So that means, you know, and that's of their gross pay. That's before taxes, you guys, that's not after. So basically more than half of everybody's paychecks were going to their mortgage payments. Now it's hovering right around that 21 to 22% is the, is the national debt to income ratio, which is ridiculously affordable. It, so when people say, oh, there's a housing bubble, oh, we're worried about housing. How can you worry about housing when people are being so conservative on their numbers that because the debt to income ratio is a very important thing that we watch for the forecasting of the economy. And so when banks start letting that go higher, we start getting nervous right now. They're super conservative and everybody's working really hard to get a mortgage. So it uh, the numbers really favor us as, as owners. What about loan to value ratio, Andy? Um, That's how much are you putting down basically? So, you know, when you're, you're buying a million dollar house, are you putting $200,000 down? So there's an 80-20 loan um, on the property. Um, back in the old days, we used to be able to do uh, two mortgages. We'd do a first mortgage for 80%. We'd do a second mortgage for 20% or 15% or 10%. And the difference would be how much you put down. Nowadays, uh, most people are putting the 5 to 20% or more down. Um, I'm seeing a lot of very consistent offers where they're coming in with 50% down. Um, and then they get the best interest rates they get the best um everything you know avoid mortgage insurance or i can't origination fee chris origination fee. origination fee and what that is is what the lender uh or a broker uh any well just let's go with a lender is what they charge um for their fee so there's an origination fee now some people hide that in different ways in different numbers but if you look on your um closing disclosure, you'll typically see that that origination fee is anywhere from a half to 1% of what your loan amount is. Pre-approval, Andy? Um, uh, you know, there, there's a, an approval letter and there's a pre-approval. A pre-approval letter is going to be where it's it's pre-verification, right? So it's like they're, they're going out there and they're actually, you know, you tell them how much you make, you tell them that you have a job, you know, you tell them all that stuff and, and they'll issue a pre-approval. Um, you know, and then, and then pending an actual, well, maybe that's another one of your terms, but so pre-approval means that you, you look good on paper, um, or at least you, from what you've told us, you look good. Pre-qualification. That's what Andy was referring to right there. So this, this is basically the next step where they've actually taken that information and verified it. And now you're qualified in, in which to be able to purchase it typically free of title work and or appraisal uh, on on your qualification. So this is this is the one that we really want to see from an agency. Underwriting. Uh, underwriting. Um, there, so what happens is when you're, you send the file off, it's in escrow, right? So everybody's agreed to agree, the terms are met, and now we're deciding to close on the house, which is different because every state's different. In Minnesota, it goes to an underwriting department, um, you know, and then they look at everything verify everything, make sure everything, all the T's are across the I's are dot. Underwriting in the um, loan uh, process is is where they're, they're triple checking, double checking. So when you've made it through an underwriting um, department, 
um, or get an approval because you have some kind of a condition that's unusual, an underwriter will actually approve that condition on behalf of the bank and then authorize the bank to go ahead and, and it, you know, obviously do the loan or whatever. But underwriting is sometimes my best friend and sometimes my worst enemy because I've had clients where there's a misunderstanding of like commissions or a misunderstanding of self-employment where every self-employed person writes off everything they possibly can. And then all of a sudden they go to buy a house and most underwriters used to be able to look through that and say, okay, they're intentionally writing this, 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 but their gross income is really this. So let's qualify them on that because they can swing that hammer. So anyway. Conventional loan? Conventional loan is uh, a loan typically. I mean, you can have as little as 3% uh, down, but um, conventional loan is, I mean, most, the most popular thing is it's because it gets you out of mortgage insurance. Um, if it's a jumbo conventional um, type product, um, per, you might not, uh, there's a lot of times there's no mortgage insurance, but typically uh, like Andy's example of the million dollar house that he put $200,000 down, once you have 20% down, you don't have any mortgage insurance. Down payment. Uh, down payment. Interesting. So different than the amount of cash you're obligated to bring the closing, right? Um, down payment is how much are you putting down on the actual loan? So kind of going back to that, um, what's the deposit you're making against the amount that you're borrowing? So, you know, the ratios of 80-20. So the down payment would be that the 200000 you're putting down on the loan. That doesn't include your closing costs or whatever else. Kind of like buying a car. Same thing. They'll say, oh, it's it's a zero uh, cost, you know, loan. But there's all these still, they come up fronts. Well, same thing with a house. You have the same thing. You have your, uh, you know, title company to pay. You may have some, you know, equity deed um, registration, whatever kind of fees that are there that go with it. Um, but ultimately, the down payment goes towards the paying off of the loan. Beautiful. Three more, then we'll take a little break. Foreclosure? Foreclosure. Um, a foreclosure happens when maybe you haven't been making your payments. And um, or there, there could be sometimes uh, a case of uh, the terms of your loan. Maybe you didn't uh, use them. So like you said, you were buying it to live in it and you made it a rental property. They could uh, foreclose on you. But basically, uh, they give you notice <laughs> to foreclose on you. Uh, they do what's a, a thing called a sheriff sale. And that's when typically the mortgage company buys back the house. Then you have six months right of redemption to be out of it. And that little, uh, what, four, eight, 11 uh, letter word was the reason uh, we had a little problem from 2008 to about 2014. Because when the foreclosures go, they typically go for a lot less, the houses did, then everyone followed them. Yeah, and it, you know, it's interesting too, Chris, is that foreclosure is actually like a legal term, right? So that is a done by the sheriff. It's like it's like being arrested or whatever, right? So it's it's enforced by um, the sheriff, and um, and it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's I, I'm so glad we're away from that right now because that was such a depressing, um, unmotivating time to be in this business because dealing with all these poor families that were getting foreclosed on, and I know there's a lot of people listening that'll say. Yeah, but they put themselves in that position. They bought four speedboats and they, you know, went, traveled everywhere, jacked up their credit cards and then, you know, let their house go into foreclosure. And um, I- Kind of like I, the I, renters are doing right now. Oh, I didn't say that. What's that? Kind of like the renters are doing right now because they don't have to pay. So Yeah, just, but they, they've destroyed their credit. I mean, you and I both know that those people, when they, unless they don't allow you to report the credit of missing payments, but um, those people- if I, if I had somebody apply for a loan and I saw that they haven't been paying their rent for three years 
and they didn't have a mortgage, I'd be like, well, where did you live? And, oh, I just didn't pay my rent for two years. Bye-bye. I don't think people realize how much they're hurting themselves is what I'm saying. I know. Mortgage broker? That's Andy's turn. Oh, um, a mortgage broker uh, means that they have multiple sources of money, in essence, right? So they, they have mortgages, which are basically loans that they can put against your property. You give them a mortgage, right? You actually give them that uh, against your property. Um, and then when you pay it back, they give it back. So um, it, a, a broker, what's kind of cool is that they have access to, I believe, multiple different uh, lender sources. So, you know, they may have, you know, five different um, banks or wells, as I call them, to go to. Um, and then versus a, if you walk into a traditional institution, um, a lot of times they're using one source. Um, and it's, well, here's what's funny though, you guys. Um, I, I always say this. So you walk into the big bank right on the corner, 90% of the time, they don't even keep your loan. And I think for some reason, people feel better knowing that, hey, if I go to this bank, they're going to take money out of the vault. They're going to help me pay for my house and everything's going to stay local and close. That's not, most most banks make their money on selling those mortgages um, on the backside of the market where they literally put them into mutual funds or whatever, some some big portfolio needs um, that, that, so they get their money back. They make money on selling the loan. And then there's a thing called servicing. So, you know, they can, a lot of these servicers, like, like the big boys, you know, um, that are out there, the big banks that are out there, they just service the loan. So you think you're paying the big bank, but you're actually, they're just servicing it, collecting the money, making sure you're paying on time and then um, paying the, the debt. So they're kind of like uh, a property manager in a way. Mm -hmm. Mortgage interest rate. Very low. How about that? <laughs> the mortgage rates, uh, that's, that's the rate they charge you on uh, your mortgage. It can differ based on um, credit, um, uh, how much money you're putting down, how much you're borrowing. Uh, it can make a, a, a difference on that. And uh, it's very interesting because when when rates go from 3% to 3.5%, your, your payment changes quite a bit because it's over, you know, over 30 years. So it's... Uh, but they're very low right now. Let's take a little break. I got a question. So uh, people in the industry and clients, um, how much of this do they know? Or is it not many people understand all these different terms and, and the knowledge in real estate? You know, yeah. Go ahead, Andy. Well, I was just going to say like the, usually um, people talk with a lot of like acronyms, you know? So like when you're saying debt to income ratio, they do the old, oh, is it DTI or whatever, you know? They do that kind of talk. So your DTI to your, you know, blah, blah, blah to your, and all of a sudden people sit there and glaze over. So I think when most people, you know, the, the terms kind of self-explain themselves, um, and, and if you really think about them in most cases, but, um, you know, most people understand when you talk layman's terms and, you know, talk the lingo, industry lingo, loan officers are the worst. And, and, and I mean that because they're so used to talking to, you know, underwriters and their bosses and they, they talk the lingo. And then they talk to a consumer and the consumer goes, I just want a loan. I don't know what, uh, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying? So I think with one of those terms, mortgage broker was kind of a big one because um, most people would just think a mortgage broker is someone who gives you a loan. Well, but a mortgage broker is like, there's Wells Fargo, US Bank. I mean, they, they do their own. And then there's places like um, uh, Bay Equity, home loans, you know, that they can, send them out to different brokers or loan areas so they have a little more um, flexibility on what they can do so let's just say that 
you know, at, at Wells Fargo, you got to fit into this little thing, maybe at Bay Equity, they can find something that fits you, you and you, because they have different options to be able to go get. So I think some of these terms are, I might kind of get what they are, but I don't fully know what they mean. Okay. That's just like qualifying debt to income ratio and all of that kind of stuff. But you think it's very important for people in the business to understand all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, and I wish they I wish they did more. I think um, I think what's happened in our industry is that uh, with the advent of a little thing called electronic signatures, that people don't think they need to know what they're actually signing because they just send out the contract and don't explain it and just say, okay, yep, here's the offer, sign this. But there's a lot of little things in between what you fill out, the price and closing date and what personal property you want, that makes a big difference on what happens on the sale of that property. And uh, a lot of people don't know what that is. And uh, well, I, I, Chris, I couldn't agree more. I, I can't stand that. Oh, keep it easy. Just click here and you own a house. I, I, it drives me nuts because people that do that stuff are the first ones that get their license taken away because they didn't explain the purchase agreement. You have a fiduciary responsibility to those clients. You need to explain everything to those clients in, in their best interests so that they understand, hey, this is how we handle this. This is how this protects you. This is how this hurts you. This is how this, you know what I mean? So when we go into an offer and, and the deal blows up or after closing, the deal blows up because there was something that was not correct or misleading. And then it goes back to, did you explain this? Did they understand this? Did you, you know, because you, you uh, as a real estate agent, um, can end up giving your commission back. You can end up having somebody come after you for even more than that. So then, you know, you end up going to, uh, you know, uh, arbitration and you can, they can ask for more than that because you damaged them. So I take, and as a lot of, a lot of agents do, you know, Chris, you too, I mean, take it very seriously, but um, I'd rather spend the time like saying, hey, before we jump onto this treadmill that's going 11 miles an hour and let's, let's have a cup of coffee, I'll buy the first cup, let's sit down, let's run through a purchase agreement so that when I call you and we say, we got to get an offer and in 15 minutes, you can click, click, click with confidence because we've spent the time up front to invest into your knowledge of what you're doing. It's a very good thing. The more, the more knowledge, I mean, in anything, the more, the more, you know, the better decision you're going to be able to make and the more confident decision you're going to make. And so then it doesn't turn into buyer remorse later on. We just ran into one of those. And um, I mean, it just puts everyone in just a horrible position um, when, when that happens. And you don't know how many people you affect by just being um, just just not diligent in what you're supposed to be doing and, and preparing people for what it is. It's a, it's a big thing now. And I think some buyers also think that, you know, they've been kind of getting jerked around. And so all of a sudden they can kind of jerk you around. And that is just kind of, it's just kind of sad, you know, that it's, uh, th that it can come to that. And I think that's going to catch up to agents as well, because if you haven't, even if it's not you that's doing it, it's your client, it's your job in which to be able to try to, uh, you know, um, not make not make that happen. And if you know about it and you know this person's doing it, then you got a real problem on your hands. Well, and I, and I think, Chris, that's why the industry, um, from a banking perspective, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, all those big uh, institutional lenders crave consistency. They want to have something uh, like an online source that limits the values, controls the, the appreciation, so that we're all within that ratio of what they call fair. So there's no way up here's or way down here's. And, and unfortunately though, when we're in a capital market like we are, 
um, supply and demand is determined by the consumer. Now the bank goes along for the ride. So if the, if the consumer walks in and says, I want to pay a million dollars for this $800,000 house and the bank says, yes, let's do it. They're taking that risk with that consumer. On the other hand, let's say that, you know, you go in there and, and, um, uh, I guess, I, I don't, you know, I, am I kind of making sense here, Chris, what I'm saying that? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, and kind of determining, you know, um, uh, where we go with, um, values because I think even the consumer craves having a source, a, a trusted source they can go to. I think that's honestly why so many people are fooled by the big boys, the Zillows and the Trulias and the whatever's that um, produce a value online, the, the automatic evaluators, and they think that somebody's sitting there calculating that for them. It's an illusion, right? And it, it all it is is they're taking tax value, other sales in the area, and it's an algorithm, and they put it all together and they kind of come up with a guess number. And people find comfort. I don't know why the hell they feel comfort in that. And in there still, they try to dial it in. But these automatic evaluators, um, it, it still cannot tell you, hey, when you walk in the house, it smells like smoke. Or, hey, the view. You look out the back, you see the lake, you look to the left, you see a freeway and a big power pole, you know, or whatever. So they're dirty, dirty. Or it's dirty, right. They dirty. can't see that stuff. The windows are fogged or whatever. Dirty, dirty and cluttered costs you thousands and thousands of dollars. Yes. All right, let's get back into it. Before we do, if you are watching this video, it would be amazing if you can shoot us a like. The engagement really helps the algorithm. So we'd appreciate that. Let's hit it. Principal, interest, property taxes, and homeowner insurance. We got three of them. P-I-T-I. -I, that's what constitutes your payment. Um, there might be a little another I in there or an M or a P and that would be private mortgage insurance. And so, uh, but when you add all those together, P-I-T-I -I is typically what it is, is your monthly payment that you pay. Um, if you don't escrow, if you don't escrow your taxes and insurance, that's uh, what your monthly payment is to the mortgage company. Yeah. And it's the more money you put down, the harder it gets because a lot of times the mortgage and interest is what they'll quote you because you're on your own for paying your taxes when you put more than 20% down or, you know, your homeowner's insurance, you're paying that out of your pocket. And uh, it, a lot of times, so you don't, they don't calculate, obviously when you're disclosing, they will, but in the big picture of life, you're not, you know, when you put that much down, you're usually on your own versus a first time buyer with 3% down. That's part of your payment. You know what I'm saying? They ask for Private mortgage ins insurance, PMI. Um, that is, so there's a gap. So the, 80% down the 20%, which is the ratio banks like to see, um, private mortgage insurance covers the difference on the 20%. So uh, just like FHA, actually FHA is a version of mortgage insurance, if you will, produced by the federal government. Cause they're saying that, hey, the gap between 80% and, and that 20% gap, you put three and a half percent down, technically they're insuring that, that gap. So um, same thing with private mortgage insurance. It's just that you're using a conventional loan and a private mortgage insurance um, agency is providing the insurance um, on the on the loan. So what's cool too, though, last, I'll leave this. Sometimes now they're allowing you to pay a one-time upfront fee. Otherwise, they make you pay monthly, um, which which kind of gives you some variety of the way you do it. it. It assures the mortgage against default. So if there is that little short sale problem, you know, they go to their mortgage insurance company and say, hey, we're going to be this short. Are you going to be able to cover it for us? And that's what they do. So it's kind of a risk insurance kind of thing. It's uh, your house burns down, you got homeowner's insurance, your mortgage goes bad, you got private mortgage insurance to be able to save the lender a little. So mm -hmm. 
Points, Chris? Points. That's uh, if you want to pay points, they're also called discount points, is that you can reduce your interest rate. Okay. So we have someone that made an offer on our house that asked us to pay two points because of the program that they're in, and they can get down to like 1.85%. And then they can qualify at that. So what they're doing is saying, hey, we'll pay this up front, uh, pay this up front so I can then qualify for maybe even more money. But it's, um, it, it, it was a real low interest rate for points. You don't see that a lot right now, and you don't see it because interest rates are so low. But uh, when I first got into the um, real estate market, there was always points being paid. Um, the rate was 10.5%. Well, started. you know, think about this. Points are like interest that you pay up front. Right. So that money doesn't count towards anything. It's just, it just gets you a better interest rate on the loan. Yep. And over time, and, and uh, it's, it, over time, it saves you money if you stay there for 30 years. But a lot of people use points to be able to buy down the rate so they could qualify. Contingencies, Andy? It's actually pronounced contingencies. Um, the, uh, the they drive me crazy. Um, this is where I call it. You're putting your foot out the door. So when you have a contingency, it allows you to escape. Um, you're not you're not closing the door on the deal. So um, for everything from usually it's finance, right? Um, or it's uh, inspections, or it's you know uh, well and septic, or appraisal. Appraisal, right? Yeah. So there's all these feet out the door. So like when consumers say, oh, we got an offer. Yay. And I say, yeah, but they have six toes out the door. So until all those doors are in the door and we can lock it down and we're ready to close, I go, don't get too excited yet. So even on a clean deal, that's why you're seeing people offer cash. Cash clears a lot of contingencies. There's not an appraisal requirement. There's usually not any kind of, um, you know, uh, rules or uh, and, uh, have to run anybody through the house. It's not contingent upon anybody approving anything. It's, it's, here's the money and we'll use it. And I usually, when people say cash, I say, okay, big shot, you got enough money. Let's put 50,000 down in earnest then if, if you're all cash. And they go, well, we don't want to put that much down. And I go, oh, so you're not a serious cash buyer then. Uh, you just want to look, you're a poser. I call them posers now because there's so many people that pose to be cash and they're using equity lines against their house or using whatever to put a bunch of money into their account to show they have cash, but it's not real cash. It's borrowed money put into a, a, a fund or whatever, right? Savings account. So when you ask somebody for non-refundable earnest money on a cash deal, it it gets real uh, serious real quick. And you find out if your buyer's shutting the door, locking it, and bolting it, and handing me the keys, um, or are they are they hanging out outside? So anyway, contingencies are things that can blow up a closing. I could uh, here's a good one you would like, Andy. I got an offer. There was cash and they're like hey we're cash and i'm saying okay fantastic um and then you read in the purchase agreement after the inspection they also had a contingent upon the house appraising <laughs> and i'm like oh okay yeah there, there's a couple new lenders that are out there now those of you watching um the game is is basically uh they produce a cash statement for you so you're almost buying the house like on a contract for deed with this person that you refinance in 90 days so they give you hard money um and like Chris said, in the fine print, there's an appraisal required, even with cash. And, and then they go through, they so they close on it, and then they go to a traditional lender after the fact. So they want it, they're just trying to make their offer look better to you as a seller. Have you had That's, one of those? Yes. Okay. Yep, they're, they're huge out east. It's coming this way, but it comes down to where how much do you want to pay for a house? Because when you close and you have closing costs on two different things, 
no matter how you want to look at it, if you borrow cash from somebody um, and they, oh, there's no cost to it, but then when you close on the second loan, they're charging you five origination points or whatever they can get away with because you know they're going to. They have to. They, they don't do things for free. Nobody's nice in the lending industry. I mean, they, they might have nice personalities, but they do everything for themselves and they always have. And it, it'll continue to be that way. So what are they doing that cost you money to have that opportunity? And and um, so if a buyer wants to come in and pay crazy numbers um, for finance to get that, go for it. You just said it, earnest money? Yeah, earnest money is consideration for someone uh, accepting your offer. It does go into the listing broker's trust account, so it does get cash and it's, uh, credit towards your down payment and or closing costs. The only way earnest money can be um, uh, Return back is number one, that you close. Number two, that both buyer and seller agree or by a court order. Yeah, it's been kind of confusing too. We've had some VA loans now where they put uh, earnest money down and then we've had to write in an addendum that says that the earnest money will be refunded at closing to the buyer because they're doing a true zero down loan. It's VA. And so, but they they, they want to be competitive. So they put, you know, 5,000 into their offer or whatever just to get our attention. Um, but yeah, anyway, kind of interesting. Escrow account? Um, escrow, uh, the way I apply that, there's a lot of different ways to say escrow. So for, for in my brain, um, escrow to me means like new construction where we don't have the exterior painting done or the landscaping's not done or the final grade or the driveway. And the title company or the lender will ask for one and a half times the value of those items to be held in an escrow account until the work is completed. Once upon completion, the escrows can be released. Um, or escrow can also be used for um, your insurance on your house or your taxes. There's a lot of different things that escrow. Escrow basically is holding uh, money. It's holding it and then the mortgage company pays it. Okay, these next ones, we're going to really test you guys, like how much you can spit off the top of, of uh, the head. There's three of them in each of these. So I want you to just give some quick stuff, some fun facts, and let's move on. Well, let's see what you guys got. Chris? Which, hold on, hold on. I want to know the rules. And here. by the way, those of you watching and listening, we have not been uh, told ahead of time what these are. So yeah, this is... So do I have to answer all three of them or does... Yes, yes, yes. And then Andy will do the next three. Wow. All right, here we go. Here we go. I'm first, Andy. Strap up. Home inspection, home homeowner's insurance, and title insurance. Okay, a home inspection is when uh, in Minnesota, we secure the deal and then do a home inspection, make sure that it's uh, in good condition. There's homeowner's insurance. That's what insures you against maybe the house burning down or if someone falls on your property. And title insurance actually is, uh, it insures your title that you're going to have clear title. So your title company will do... Um, a title exam and make sure that hey the, the right people are selling it to you all the mortgages are taken taken care of but if we make a mistake there's title insurance for the mortgage company you have to have owner's title insurance to cover your uh equity or your down payment and these next nice under contract adjustable rate mortgage and agent well under contract means that we have a buyer and a seller agreeing to terms um, there may be contingencies within under contract, um, you know, so that there may be an inspection coming. There may be an appraisal required. There may be whatever, right? Um, adjustable rate mortgage. Now that's where the rate of the loan can adjust. And sometimes it's once a year, sometimes it's twice. Sometimes it was quarterly back in the day. 
um, and it'll adjust and it, it would have a maximum adjustment up or down of a certain percentage per year. So it doesn't go rocket skyrocket up. And a lot of times it would have a maximum of like 5%. So let's say back when they were doing these, they were locking them in at 6%. Um, they could go up to eight, they could go up to 10, they could go up to, you know, and then they would cap at like 11, for example, or, or whatever, it'd be five more, or they could go down. So what a lot of people did was when the economy kind of crashed, adjustable rate mortgages were the way to go because they actually, everybody was worried about them because they were adjustable, but they were adjusting down. So the payments were becoming more affordable anyway. Um, agent, an agent um, is a way to identify the salesperson. Um, that is, it, agent is like salesperson representing the buyer or the seller, um, which is not the broker. So I'm a real estate agent, for an example. So I help people, um, I'm a salesperson selling houses, facilitating the transaction, helping fill out contracts, but I don't give legal advice and I'm not the broker. Amazing. I can't pronounce that that first Amortization. word. Amortization is um, basically what they want to do is try to um, keep your payments the same over a, a certain amount of time. So whether your mortgage is 15 years or 30 years, they amortize that interest over the whole time rather than it all be an interest. But what most it's mostly interest at the beginning. So maybe your payment's $1,000 of just principal and interest. 950 might be uh, interest and only 50 is going to uh, principal. But now on your next payment, there's $50 less. So now we got to do the interest on that. And so it just kind of keeps <coughs> amortized over time. An appraisal is for your buyer's lender to make sure that the house is worthy of what they want to lend you the money for. It doesn't tell you the value of your house. It's what the lender wants it to be. Uh, and it's based on comps that have sold because I truly believe the true value of a house is what a buyer's willing to pay and what a seller's willing uh, to sell it for. That's that's value. Now, if you have to have a mortgage, the appraiser has to be able to determine that for the mortgage company. I always say that too. Appraisers are always working on the best interest of the bank. Yeah, they have to. Yeah, and then the and then after our whole little debacle um, in the two two thousand foreclosure fun time. Uh, the appraisers were a lot of part of this. They were um, giving people refinances and saying their house was super high. So they've got real stringent things now. And so that is an appraiser. That's the person who does the actual appraisal. Uh, and they are um, people that can uh, make your life really fun or they can hurt it. Um, but they really, uh, I, I don't have appraisers that don't try to not make it work. And they will they, listen to you. They have a Teflon bubble around them though too. They're so protected from us. Yeah. Here you go, Andy. Okay. Appreciation. Um, AP, just like me, right? Hey, I appreciate you. Um, no, appreciation. So that's where the house <laughs> the house value um, is, is going up. It's appreciating in value or the asset you buy. Um, so appreciation is one of the calculations we use when we talk to investors. Um, so not only do you get maybe tax write-off or uh, whatever, but the appreciation is calculated as an asset or a gain, okay? Um, assessment, um, that is where an assessment against a property is usually assigned by a governing authority. It gives you an assessment. Um, let's say they're going to put in new curb and street and gutter or, or, uh, or a sewer, and it's $18,000 per house. There's an assessment against the property. In most cases, they don't just dump it on you and say pay in cash. A lot of times they will make it affordable over, you know, the course of 10, 15 years, and they put it on your taxes and let you pay it as you go. Um, so that it you can absorb it comfortably. Um, and then it's a buyer's agent. 
is a buyer's agent. Um, ex I'm assuming it, the, we missed the word exclusive, but exclusive buyer's agent means that they're exclusively representing that buyer as an agent exclusively. There's not multiple agents involved. Because um, sometimes, like, let's say that, you know, somebody's buying a, a cabin, a house, or whatever, they may have multiple agents. But in this case, most people hire an agent to buy a primary residence. They represent exclusively the best interests of the fiduciary responsibilities to that buyer's agent and or to the buyer and uh, represent them exclusively. Home warranty inspection and interest, Chris. I think, oh, we did a homeowner's inspection that was before, but home warranty. Uh, a warranty is from a, a separate company that uh, warrants against uh, certain things. Typically, it's mechanical failures that happen. Uh, the buyer or the seller can purchase that. It usually covers you for a year. And um, that's what a home warranty is. It's negotiated on the purchase agreement. Inspection, uh, typically a, a deal is subject to an inspection on a home. Whether or not it's, uh, it's contingent or not is one thing. Whether or not they do it is another thing on there. And then interest is uh, the interest you pay uh, on, on your loan. So it's, um, you know, when I said mostly interest, little principal, it's the interest you're paying uh, on that for, uh, you have the right to borrow the money. That's how the people make their money is on the interest. Great. Andy? Okay, loan lien listing. So a loan, just like it sounds, is where um, that's the name that they give somebody that gives you, you know, money. They're giving you a loan um, that you obviously have to pay back. Usually, there's terms to a loan, interest rates or payback timelines. There's terms, amortizations as to you know how the payback goes. Um, a lien is um, just like you'd sound. They're leaning something against your title, so they're putting something on it that actually puts weight on it that uh, you cannot uh, sell without having that lien removed. It's a legal term, like when they lien a property uh, for work that they've done, for example, like a mechanic's lien, um, somebody that performed work on that property may, you know, say they, uh, you know, installed something in your home, you go to sell your house and then that person never got paid. Uh, they can lien that property from, you know, in the terms of a mechanic's lien and uh, so that you can't sell it until you pay them. Tax liens, utility bill liens, uh, medical liens, you can get a lot of things put against your property that you have to pay off. Yep. Yep. Or and, so, and, then, and then listing, uh, lastly, you know, as you, as you can imagine, um, I have a new listing, which means a new opportunity, a new uh, property that we're putting for sale, offering it out. I'm representing the seller, um, come bring us offers. So it, it's a, a term that we're, we're active or we're ready. It's a listing. Chris. <clears throat> Listing agent, that's who's, uh, who's ever signed us on the property is the listing agent. Uh, they represent the seller in their best interest at all times and work towards them. They do uh, share uh, their the money that they make with a, a buyer's agent uh, if they represent the buyer. Multifamily means that that's more than one. And tip, I'm going to go with multifamily residences. So that might be a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, an eightplex, um, where there's more than one unit within um a uh, a dwelling, I guess. And net income, net income is uh, what you, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna go with net income as what you actually get. So let's just say you make uh, $10,000 a month, but you only get uh, 6,000 of it because you have all the taxes, that's your net income. Andy, offer, pre-approval letter, principal. 
So when you have a listing, um, you're making an offer, um, telling the person what you're willing to pay, the terms, conditions, um, everything that, that would go with a offer. Um, and then, you know, usually that means having your pre-approval or your, your proof of funds or whatever you need. A pre-approval letter. Um, we kind of covered this a little bit earlier, but a pre-approval is kind of the very beginning flashy, hey, you know, it's a pre-approval letter. We've pre-approved them. Uh, meaning that before they make an offer, we pre-approve them for a loan. Um, a lot of times that still has to be underwritten um, and actually, you know, go through that approval process. Um, and then the principal, a principal is the principal in the transaction. Um, so it, it's it's another legal term. Um, so the principal um, in, in this case, I guess, I, you know, it's hard to explain how principal would work. But for me, like the, the seller, right, Chris? As far as your payment goes. Like principal. Oh, principal, like principal. Okay. I didn't know it was a lending term. Okay. So principal is when you're paying down, um, the principal goes towards paying down the actual debt on the amount. So you have a hundred thousand dollars of debt and you write a $30,000 check to buy down your principal. That's the principal amount of the loan that you have. Now you owe 70,000. Yep. Now you owe 70,000. Yep. yep. You get that bonus and you apply. Yep. Real estate owned properties. Real estate yeah. purchase agreement, property tax. All right, uh, REO, REO properties are uh, real estate owned by mortgage companies. Um, and they turned into, that's typically, they've got them back based on foreclosures. And then they turn around and sell them. Andy um, had some accounts on that. He, I never did much listing with that, but I know Andy did quite a bit of uh, uh, REO properties uh, when he was uh, right after the whole big foreclosure thing. Um, real estate purchase agreement, that's the agreement that we use. Uh-oh, look at him. What's he doing? Um, a purchase agreement you guys, is write the offer You guys off. didn't read my notes. Oh. It says, it says, let me sneak out into my truck for a few minutes. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> let him slip out here. Okay, um, real estate property, uh, well, a purchase agreement is, is, is the form that we use. Uh, it all it states on there that that is the agreement that no side agreements, nothing written on a napkin, but that's what the actual acceptance uh, offer is. And then property tax is what you end up paying tax wise uh, on the property that you own. Now, typically that's in your payment. Um, and, and Andy talked a little about escrowing it. And sometimes if you have 20% down or you have 20% equity at some point, you can get the ability in which to be able to pay those on your own. Now, property tax is, is due twice a year, and they're, they're, they're weird times. They're paid in May, May and October. So when you pay in May, you're really paying from January through July 1st. And then when you pay in October, you're paying through July 1st through the end of the year. Um, and then when we have a purchase agreement, we'll typically prorate the taxes to the date of closing. What that means is that, um, so say if we're closing at the end of July, yeah, the the seller will pay up until the end of July and the buyer will take over after that. Well, if the taxes were just paid July 1st, if you don't pay for the second half, we have to, the seller has to pay over to the buyer that portion. So they have enough to pay for it by the end of the year. So um, that's called prorating your taxes. So I had to go a little farther because we're trying to give Andy time to get to his car, but I think we're almost done anyways, right? Yeah, you can handle these, these ones and then Andy's got one or two more. Refinancing means that uh, maybe you've been in your house a little while. Typically, you want to be there at least six months that they can refinance you. Um, and when you refinance, the value of the house is based on the appraisal, not what you paid for it. 
when you pay for it at the beginning or buy it, they're going to go with the lower value, the appraised value or the purchase price. But when you refinance, they just go on the appraised value. So a lot of people do it to get a lower interest rate and or get rid of mortgage insurance. So if they think they've got equity, they only put 10% down before, but the appraisal says it's higher. They can get rid of their mortgage insurance. Residential, that's uh, uh, typically single, single family homes, single family residential homes uh, in our world. And then the seller's agent is uh, the person that does, uh, it's just like the listing agent. They represent uh, the seller in the transaction. Oh, look at this. Well, I thought we had him. We thought we had him, but. Tell him, tell him I had to do all his work for him. Hey, he just smiles. It, uh, <laughs> it's okay, Chris. We're, we're kind of used to that. Can you guys hear me at all? We can yeah. hear you now. Are you are you there, Andy? <laughs> All right, cool. What uh, what did I miss? Yeah, what did I miss? Single, <laughs> single family title. Can you hear, title you can't hear me, guys? You're in and out. You're in and out. Single family is a. Go. Let me put my headphones on. Um. <laughs> single family. If you can hear me, single family is. The category of housing um, where there's – sorry, guys. I apologize. This was not my plan. Okay, there we go. Okay, so single family is how the house is categorized in the eyes of uh, the tax uh, base and the way they're zoned. Um, so single family is like a single family home. Uh, it's not multifamily. It's not an apartment building. It's not um, a duplex or a triplex necessarily. Um, it can be based on the kind of loan you have, but um, single family, usually they identified as uh, either a, a, an individual townhouse um, or an individual single family home. Um, title, uh, what does it say? Title? Title. And then, yeah. So the title is says that you're the owner. And then uh, with a title, you can have contingencies. Like you can actually have or, or uh, incumbences. You can have um, liens. You can have other things where a mortgage, for example, that against your title, they would owe money um, or that you would have uh, other things against it. But the title essentially says that you own the property. OK, so you want to clean, keep it clean title and then title insurance ensures that that title is clean um, up to a certain date. So for, they'll, they'll set a date. And as of the date of closing from this date going forward, all of the title um, is insured to be clean and clear of all incumbences or any kind of, uh, you know, nicks against it. So um, it'll be clean and clear. Last two, you guys actually did it. I'm impressed. Zoning, 1031 exchange, Chris. Zoning zoning is uh, in, in different areas. I mean, we just just talked about single family or multifamily. It's zoned for certain uh, things. Sometimes it's commercial, sometimes it's agricultural. So they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a city that um, hey, you can have these certain things in these different areas. So, and then there's a 1031 exchange. Uh, that's a way in which to be able to defer uh, capital gains tax on an investment property. So, um, but the one thing you have to do is you have to, uh, when you exchange, it has to be equal or greater than the same value, how much uh, you owe on it and how much money you have down. So if you have a property that's $800,000 and you have, um, you owe 600,000 on it, you have to buy something at least 800,000 you have to owe something at least 600,000. 
and you have to at least put 200,000 in. So basically what that's saying is that you can do more than that. So maybe you want to pay 2 million and have a $700,000 mortgage and then you put uh, 1.3 into it, that's totally fine. It's just got to be equal or greater than to be able to do it. And then that uh, there's no tax on that until you end up selling it. It defers the tax. Wow, all done. I told Nick at the beginning, he goes, hey, I'm going to do all these terms and I've got like, how many was there? I think more than 50. Yeah, and I'm like, there's no way. Andy and I talk way too much on it. But I think what I was... I think what surprised me on this little thing was how much we, uh, I agreed with what he was saying. And I think he agreed with I did. So we didn't really have to fight it, you know, like what the terms were. Because we usually have to fight. No, no, we don't. Uh, we actually, we, uh, you and I get along on a lot of things. I think it's because the, the terms, um, they're not interpretive. They're, they're legal terms a lot of times or they're industry wide standards. And there's usually very little uh, sway with, what uh, a definition of something is now how we uh, interpret something like building codes or something like that in our industry that's subjective to the individual but it, it's uh it's kind of refreshing to know that there's consistency there right you know and uh, i like that and i know other professionals like that and I, I bet you we could have 50 other agents on the show and we would have had a lot of great uh very similar answers um to what we put together today too yeah, that was like a, a master class in real estate. I feel like I've learned a, a crap ton from all this stuff. That's that was really good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Any, what do you guys got coming up? Andy's on the way to somewhere. Yeah, we uh well, I tell you what, if if you were turned off with uh, building houses um from the media, I'll tell you what, prices are almost back. I've got some of my guys reducing houses this week, fifteen thousand dollars um that are being built because their lumber bills have gone down so much. So the deals are back. So anybody that kind of was scared away from new construction um, because they thought prices were nuts, I say jump back in. Rates are low. Prices are low. Um, I've got some great new listings coming um, that are uh, on their way. I got a nice one up in Andover. I just listed one yesterday in uh, Champlin, right on the Elm Creek uh, Park Reserve, and uh, had really good activity. 13 showings yesterday, so I'm sure it'll pop today. But um, if you want to get in on it, let me know and I'll, I'll get you out there. Yeah, I got an interesting one, a brand new one coming on too. Um, it's new construction um, that someone built prior to all the prices going up, um, but just had some kind of some life changes in there. End up selling. It's going to be 1.5 billion, but it's acreage in Prior Lake schools, and that's it's hard to get in that in that price point when it's uh, in a neighborhood, and so. Um, there's just a couple neighborhoods that offer that, so it's it's. Uh, I think it's gonna be a. I think it's gonna be a good one. It's it's super cool too. So amazing. Cool. I'm uh, I'm flying to Valencia tomorrow. Go down the coast of Spain. Spain's kind of locking down again with the coronavirus, but I don't know. I think it'll be good. The summer they don't like to give up the summer here in Europe. So you're gonna be stuck over there. We're never gonna see you again. I'm gonna have to just streamyard you forever. And I, I may have met a friend that's in real estate in these areas, so maybe have to bring bring them on and uh, get you guys some property out here because it's it's nice. I bet I bet it's just the challenge is finding someone that can translate, you know, uh, well enough to where, you know, because a lot of times like what we just did, the terms are what uh, other guys will get hung up on, you know, because it's like there's 
like we have a, a couple guys on our team that were Mexican and they were saying how in Mexico they don't have a, a translatable word for the word mortgage, for an example. So it's interesting that yes, they have loans, but they're not called mortgages. So it'd be interesting. I would love to see the cultural spin and technical spin on an Italian real estate market for sure. Well, and I'll, cool. tell you what, I'll tell you one thing, the bureaucracy and the government is brutal. Like a quick example, yesterday I went to get a SIM card for my phone so I can have data here because I have an Italian SIM card and uh, you have to have a Spanish bank account, a certain number to get a contract. Like there's a lot of little rules, like in Italy, for example, you have to have the government come into your house if you want to do something inside your house. And they have to check up on it. It's like, it takes like six month process to like put a wall down in your home. Not the outside facade, like even the inside stuff, you want to do anything. Jeez. It's a lot of red tape. God bless America. It's interesting when you do say that, Andy, with uh, with terms. I just had a, uh, a buyer from Australia and Canada. And what the terms that we have over here are totally different what they mean over there. And so it's kind of trying to get to, well, what are we trying to say? And it's like, oh, my gosh. All right. So I had to try to explain it in their way. And it was really interesting because I ended up, um, talking to their realtor in Australia and being able to kind of like, so I got the term straight. Cause when I was talking about it, I'm saying like, you know, um, yeah, no, you have the inspection. They said, well, we have to do that ahead of time. And I said, no, we don't, we do, we, we get the deal and then we do the inspection. Well, over there, they do it completely. Everything's done. And then when they put their uh, money down, it's done. It's over. It's a, it's a done deal. You can't get out of it. The bank's already approved everything and everything. They don't sign until that time. And give them the money wow. and then it, it but it doesn't it doesn't settle right away it's got to settle in a certain amount of time and they have attorneys really interesting stuff it is totally different and make sure if you're listening on itunes to write us a review that would be wonderful otherwise a lot of our content is on facebook you could give us some likes or share it with a friend that would really help us out another fun episode if you have any questions send them to us or or message in the comments anything else guys I don't think so. I uh, I just appreciate all the hard work you do for us, Nick. You do a great job. Thank you. That's yeah. fun. I enjoy it. You guys are a blast to see every Thursday. Awesome. Right. Ciao. Post lots of pictures. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.